0: This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. It's John Mitchell, John T. Mitchell, to distinguish myself from a few others. Uh, I'm uh, an attorney in private practice in Washington, D.C., primarily representing folks in the the retail uh, and distribution sector of music, movies, and uh, video games. The actual case or the case file harkens back to 1941 as the uh, organization ASCAP was uh, placed under court supervision for its rate setting and uh, now commonly referred to as the rate court, uh, the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, handles disputes concerning the rates set by ASCAP in recognition that uh, ASCAP itself uh, by the nature of this organization, uh, representing I guess about 45 or 50 percent uh, of uh, artists' works, uh, is a, a powerful force. It could have some anti-competitive concerns, and uh, so the right court wants to make sure that the uh, the muscle of uh, of all these competitors banding together uh, isn't uh, violative of the antitrust laws, uh, and at the same time that the individual members of the organization retain their right to uh, license uh, directly and and are not limited in their ability to uh, to offer uh, you know, perhaps more attractive rates uh, directly to uh, the prospect of licensees. So that's the the historic posture on which a rate dispute uh, arose. Real networks and Yahoo uh, were unable to uh, to to reach agreement on what ASCAP wanted to charge them for use of the works uh, on their websites, and here, by use of the works, uh, it it, uh, warrants noting that the use uh, involved here uh, is very narrow. Uh, Copyright law doesn't give uh, authors uh, control over all uses of the works, but only certain limited uses that are specified in the Copyright Act, and uh, the two uses uh, at issue here uh, were the license to reproduce the work into copies and phonorecords, it's called the reproduction right. ASCAP uh, is not the licensing body for those. The other use is the public performance of the work, uh, and ASCAP is the licensing body for public performances. So uh, the context here was... Uh, well, I guess there were two aspects of it. One was, what is the proper rate for the public performances of the works? But as a preface to all of that was the uh, the huge question of, of huge importance for ESCAP was whether they could persuade the court that any time you reproduce a work uh, over the Internet, that reproduction uh, resulting as it is in a copy or a record that can be performed privately at a later date should actually be treated as a public performance. That argument has been made by ASCAP for probably about a decade, and it's one that, depending on where you stood, you might see as curious, interesting, or completely disingenuous, but it it sort of stretched the imagination, but actually came uh, at a time when most participants in the Internet space that had anything to do with copyright were concerned as to what the what this new technology would bring, and if your bread and butter is on licensing public performances of the work, raising any uh, going anywhere from uh, live performances of a band on stage to radio, uh, the, the typical uh, and perhaps most widespread public performance, what would happen if, uh, as we enter this internet age, not only did we have internet radio, that is, broadcasting or or publicly performing the work over the internet. But because of bandwidth, if we found that internet service providers found it cheaper to simply offer downloads of the work, reproductions of the work, because the same number of bits have to travel whether you're reproducing it or publicly performing it. So the economics suggested that when bandwidth is uh, too expensive or too scarce, uh, those wanting the best of both worlds would try to uh, offer the download once and perhaps figure out a way to meter out performances. And that kind of business model, uh, if it was not a public performance, meant that ASCAP's revenue uh, to share with its members would uh, could, could dramatically decrease as the market shifted to reproductions as opposed to public performances. It's interesting that it finally failed in the sense that it had been making that argument in a lot of fora in which the argument could not readily be decided. That is, when you're negotiating a license, when you're eyeballing someone who um, wants to do business, or uh, worse yet, who is alleged to be infringing the copyrights, you can make these allegations that every time you... uh, Offer downloads, you are infringing the, the public performance right and hope that, um, uh, you know, the, the other party will find it cheaper, easier, simpler to just pay you and make it go away or, you know, somehow sweeten the deal on other aspects of, of, of the deal here. Uh, you know, Yahoo, uh, one of the parties, uh, was offering both downloads and public performances. Uh, so clearly it was going to pay something for the public performances. And you know, does this argument help you get a sweeter deal for the public performances? Just because you're you're making this claim in an area that has not been settled. So the best news here is that after eight or ten years of making this this argument and and avoiding a final resolution of it, the Second Circuit Court of Appeal essentially has now, for all practical purposes, closed the door on this notion that that a a reproduction. Uh, when it takes place over the internet, somehow is different than other reproductions. It's a little disappointing that the court took such a, a roundabout route to reach that. That is, it it, it got into uh, a little bit of the discussion of a uh, of the intent of Congress of the transmission of uh, uh, what what exactly is a public performance. is a download a public performance, was approached from the standpoint of analyzing what happens not only when you make the download, but when you play it later and focus, for example, on the notion that, well, this cannot be a public performance because you download it at one point and then you listen to it later. It would have been perhaps a little simpler had they simply gone back to the way things were back when the Copyright Act of 1976 uh, came into being, and not try to read too much into treating it differently just because now it's the Internet, quote-unquote. Quite simply, when bits are transmitted over the Internet and result in a copy of that work on your hard drive, it's really no different than someone in a factory pressing CDs who has a server and wires in the same room go to a CD replicator and crank out reproductions onto CDs, those clearly aren't public performances. Those CDs are then shipped to someone's home where someone puts them in a player and listens to them. Those are private performances, and unfortunately the court really didn't get into that distinction between public and private performances, which would have simplified things for them. So just as the person transmitting by wire from the master to the CDs and the replicating machine in a factory and shipping a million copies to a million homes isn't infringing when the person plays the CD uh, in their player, which is a private performance outside of the reach of the copyright. Uh, the same should be true here where someone simply uses a server to transmit uh, copies to a million homes without using the CD, but going directly to someone's hard drive or whatever the uh, recording device is at home. It's essentially a transmission of the same bits and resulting in a uh, copy or phono record, as those terms are defined in the Copyright Act. That is a tangible medium of expression in which the work is embodied. And it makes no difference whether that's your hard drive or your CD or your uh, flash drive. Uh, that simplifies things because that makes it clear that it's reproduction. And when the person plays that, it makes no difference whether you're playing from a hard drive, whether you're playing from a CD, or whether you're simply singing the song from memory in the shower. If it's a private performance of the work, uh, clearly there's no public uh, performance uh, element of that. So I think the court reached the right decision. It reached it unequivocally, (laughs) leaving no room for... Fudging on, uh, you know, any fuzzy issues left out there. It was very, uh, it was very clear, direct, precise, on holding that a download does not uh, uh, involve a public performance. Uh, it did suggest that, depending on how you engineer it, it may be possible to offer a download while the person can listen to the bits as they as they come through. In which case, it conceivably could be both. Uh, I'm not aware that that model is being practiced anywhere. But it simply, you know, correctly made the distinction between the equivalent of a broadcasting a song through the internet, where you listen to it and 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 then you have to get another broadcast to listen to it again, just like on the radio, or a reproduction. And it might have been clearer had they simply not used the word download but reproduction over the internet, which is a little bit more descriptive of what of what happens. Uh, so those two buckets are separate. Uh, The good news for the artist, uh, that is the author of the work, which is what the Copyright Act and and the Constitution Protect, is the author of the work. If I write a song and someone downloads it under the license, sure, it doesn't come through ASCAP, but I do get paid through my right of reproduction, which is often handled by the Harry Fox Agency. So the sad part about this is that a lot of this might have been just a dispute as to whose pocket the money going to the author came through does it come through the agency that handles reproduction royalties or does it come through the agency that handles public performance royalties uh... the money is still going to be in the pants of the author even though it's uh... pockets that are managed by different uh... different entities you know i think the greatest significance of this case will be the first part because it does lay the rest this issue and i think uh... forces all parties involved to simply stop playing games as to uh, you know whether a, a download is a public performance, and 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 uh, in fact, we had the flip side that was laid to rest uh, primarily by the Copyright Office before, where the Harry Fox Agency had been taking the position that downloads, uh, that, that is, that that public performances uh, also involve the reproduction royalty because little bits of the buffer are you know kept in your memory somewhere, and even though they're not permanent, they were sufficiently permanent to uh, to require a royalty going into that pocket, but. Uh, So now we have a a situation where between the Copyright Office and the Second Circuit, these two avenues are separate. The second portion is not as earth-shattering, perhaps, because so much was left for the district court to determine on remand. But I think there are some elements uh, that that are sort of the, the, the takeaways on this. Is that the Second Circuit, uh, the, the biggest problem I think the Second Circuit had was with trying to come up with equivalents that didn't quite match. Uh, in one section they talk about using one model to come up with the numerator and a different model to come up with the denominator, which sort of made no logical sense when you're trying to come up with, you know, one number divided by another. Uh, those two numbers at least should come from the same model or something very close to that. Here, perhaps the the biggest problem I have is that the the Second Circuit has only uh, touched the tip of the iceberg that's flowing underneath. When we listen to music over the internet, it's it's one thing to simply listen to it as we do the radio, where you simply turn it on and then maybe change to a different station. If the song is one you don't care for or it's commercials or whatnot, the internet listening tends to be much more varied and, and much more Interactive at times, so people can seek out specific songs. They may listen to a song to determine whether they want to buy it or whether they're interested in going to a particular band's concert. They may simply turn it on and have it in the background while they do other things on the Internet. When someone like Yahoo is providing the site, one of the things that the Second Circuit noted is that there may be a number of pages that are open while the person is still listening to the one song. So what's happening on those pages, the court indicated, was different than interacting directly with the music. It's one thing if you're, for example, watching a music video and your your eyes are glued to the uh, images while you listen to the music. Quite another to have uh, one streaming device from Yahoo playing the song as you use Yahoo to maybe shop for tennis shoes or something that it is completely unrelated to the music. The, the Second Circuit primarily directed the district court to use a much finer scalpel to try to match the sources of revenue from playing the music to come up with the right rates. And, and, and even sources of revenue is perhaps not the not the best way of phrasing that. And that it's part of that is the value to the uh, you know to the consumer. What's what's the equivalent here? Uh, is it closer to, um, to watching uh, music video on, on cable or, or television or actually just having the music channel on, on cable, which doesn't have the images, or you know, some, some, other, some other means of measuring that. Is it the length of you know, the amount of time you're listening to the music? How much attention should you pay to the number of pages uh, uh, that you visit while you're on that site if, in fact, Yahoo is charging per page view? even as the uh, uh, as the music plays. That is, can you charge per song played when, in fact, there may be multiple page views while you're listening to that song? The trouble spot here, I think, going back, is that the district court is still going to have a very tough time figuring out exactly what the fair equivalents are. It, it's almost like saying, you know, what happens if you go to a, a rock concert? Uh, you paid your ticket to get in, you're now, you know, in the audience. This is a licensed performance of the work on stage. But while you're at the concert, you're surfing the internet on your iPhone. You're talking with friends. You're reading a book. You may be doing other things. Does that, you know, does that mean your ticket for the concert should pay le- be less? No. And does that mean that the uh, uh, the royalty uh, charge for the right to perform that song uh, on stage should be less? Probably not. Uh, so. Uh, the, the difficulty here is always going to be matching, and there will be plenty of room for argument on both sides as to um, you know, what kind of value the consumer is receiving from this. One of the things that they've used to try to come up with something fair, since it's really hard for the court to to micromanage the intricate economics of what an advertiser pays for page views and how long were you on the page and did you make a purchase while you were on the page? Did you click a link when you are on the page? And does that affect the revenue you get for the music that was playing in the background while the consumer did all that? It could be a nightmare for uh, the district court to try to act like a, a micromanaging economist and second-guess those things. So quite often uh, what they try to do is look to comparable deals that were negotiated in an arm's-length transaction in a competitive market. And that's where the parties get to argue over, you know, is this comparable or is it not? Um, But here the district court in an odd statement indicated that ASCAP, which has about 45% of the market, its biggest competitor is BMI, which has another 45% or so of the market, and so it noted that these two performing rights organizations control 90% of the market. And then it takes that to sort of leap to the notion that, well, if BMI is ASCAP's the biggest competitor, we should look at how BMI uh, might have done things to see what's good for, for ASCAP. But that, uh, that sort of ignores the whole, the whole basis for the rate court to begin with, which was antitrust. The real question shouldn't really be what another major collecting society representing 45 percent of the market is able to negotiate in fact c which is the third rates organization has somewhere between five and ten percent of the market it, it's in a, a beautiful position of sort of being the last mile so you've negotiated with SCAP and bmi if you want to play all music you still got to get c and, and c knows it and it's not subject to the rate court and you know can it actually charge more effectively per song uh, because people need it uh, the last mile? So the real comparison shouldn't really, in my judgment, be looking at the two major you know, 45% market share collections of representatives of the rights holders. How much can they leverage just because you can't really offer streaming unless you have each of those two 45% percent market shares. Rather, it should be what an individual singer-songwriter would, uh, uh, would charge uh, under that environment. And that's the really sad part here that we have today when we have a, the technical ability to have a wonderful database that gives prospective licensees the ability to, you know, essentially go in and cherry-pick music By finding out what each individual author would charge for that, we could actually have a market in which individual authors, sort of think of an eBay on steroids, you know, are offering music either at a high rate because they think people are going to pay them because their music is simply so good, or perhaps at a low rate because they want more people to hear it, or because this is the first song of a garage band and they want to be discovered. You could even have music you know, being licensed offered for license for free for either forever or for a month or for a day. Um, and uh so one of the one of the uh dangers I think we have here going forward with this is that by having been working since nineteen forty one on trying to manage what these major collecting organizations are are or are not permitted to do the district court and the second circuit here seem to be losing sight of the whole purpose for this, uh, uh, court's involvement at the time they were allowed to go forward. It was going to be far too expensive for individual rights holders when we're still dealing with you know, what we call snail mail and derisively today, communications that were largely by mail. I mean, think of 1941 technology. If we had, Postal service, uh, mail carriers, uh, or, you know, delivery people and, uh, a telephone that was still not in everyone's home. The ability to negotiate with each individual author, uh, would be horrendous and the cost would be, uh, very high. How do the authors who want to license their public performances find the prospective licensees who would like to publicly perform them? So in that, in that scenario, Ask Evan VMI made perfect sense. Today we have a scenario in which it's almost a virtual shell game where at BMI, and CSAC would hate for people to be able to negotiate directly with their members because their leverage is in having this collection together. Yet today's technology makes it so simple for people to let their offer be known to the entire world over the Internet and let licensees simply click a few buttons and do the deals just as easily as people can... Uh, and have the robot on eBay uh, increasing the bid as the bidding war goes on. Uh, so I, I think there is room here. Uh, you know, While, while the, the, the decision itself does not address this, I think the decision simply raised all of the flaws in the district court's ruling and sent it back without any clear roadmap to how to correct all those flaws is to me indicative of the fact that we've simply got a 1941 way of doing business when we have 2010 tools for making the need for ASCAP and BMI to be so non-essential that uh, that they're going to have to add uh, a lot more value for the market to use them as opposed to simply doing deals directly with the, with the artist of the, of the licensees choosing. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.